I had worked for that company for 10 years. I had a great paycheck. I had the benefits, the insurance, all those things, the 401k. And it was really my wife that convinced me to roll the dice and let's go, let's go see what can happen here. And I think I look back at that. She said the most impactful thing she said to me is, look, we're financially stable. We have no debt. We've been smart. If it doesn't work, you will find another job. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Welcome to another episode of the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. I'm your host. My name is Tyler Martin. Thanks so much for listening to another episode. Every week, I feature a hand-picked guest who shares their challenges and accomplishments with growing and scaling a business, all with the purpose of helping you grow and scale your own business faster and better. Our guest today is Tyler Robertson. Tyler is the CEO and founder of Diesel Laptops. This is a company with a mission to provide the best diesel diagnostic products and services. Seven years ago, Tyler started his business from his garage, and now it's over $50 million a year in revenue with 200 employees. What's even more impressive about Tyler's business is that he did it by bootstrapping and no investors. What an amazing accomplishment. Tyler considers himself an accidental entrepreneur who has had to learn lessons the hard way and make some tough choices along the way, and it was all worth it. In this episode, we talk about how to work on your business and not in your business. The importance of taking responsibility and leading by example as a business owner. Why you always need to start with why and know your purpose. And finally, how to overcome perfectionism as an entrepreneur. Wow, that's a good one. In this episode, Tyler openly shares his journey of growing and scaling a business. There's a lot of gold nuggets here you can apply to your own business. Let's start our chat. Hey, Tyler. Great name, by the way. Nice to have you on the show, the Think Business Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? Anytime you get two Tylers together, you know something spectacular is going to happen. So thank you for inviting me on. You know, the minute I saw the name Tyler, I had to beg you to be a guest. It was like, <laughs> this is the one name I won't screw up on my podcast. That, that was why I was so excited. Serendipitous, <laughs> man. We're here together. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, I want to talk. Your company is Diesel Laptops. And where I'd love to start is just tell me what Diesel Laptops is, what you do. And then uh, you've got some great stories. I just can't wait to get into this. We're not an old company. We're seven years old. So I was in my garage dining room table seven years ago, and we bootstrapped this thing up to about 200 employees, and we'll do north of 60 million in revenue this year. Awesome. Uh, but we're in the B2B space. So we provide efficiency solutions for all the diesel-powered equipment that uh, you see or don't see. So people say diesel, they think a lot of times Ford, Chevy, Dodge. We're more on the commercial truck side, but even a bigger diesel world is all the off-highway diesel stuff people don't see. Things that move dirt, farm tractors, generators, earth-moving equipment, that type of thing. And we provide diagnostic tools, repair information. I got a call center staff with diesel techs that are the phone a friend. We do diesel technician training classes. So we're there just making sure people can fix diesel equipment much more efficiently than they have been in the past. Very cool. How does the word laptops in your domain name get into that? Yeah. So when I started my company, well, I was like 10 years ago doing part-time. I'm like, I need a company name. And I'm a marketing guy. So I'm like, man, what are people looking for? And you start doing some SEO research. And at that time, people were diesel laptops, right? Because it was all PC-based software they were putting on laptops. 
I'm like, great. I'm going to take diesel laptops, make them my company name. I'm going to rock the SEO on this whole thing right from the start. So that's where it came from. And truthfully, it's changing now. We have electrification. We got mobile devices. We do training. So we've had to kind of scale up other names and other divisions of our company as we've grown here. And it's a, it's a thing we got to deal with more in the future too. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Especially, I imagine, I don't know if it was seven years ago, but I know at one point, Google gave a lot of weight to the keywords in your domain name. So that probably helped, I would imagine, back then too, just to give it more weight. Yeah, it, it did. And I didn't know anything about SEO 10 years ago. I can tell you, I know a lot more today and how important <laughs> it is. Back then, I was like, man, I'm going to make my new day name, use all the right keywords. And truthfully, when you're in a niche in a B2B world, you don't have to do much to rank really high, really quick for SEO. Yeah. But now that we're there, we, we definitely like build that SEO moat around us with everything we do. Love it. Love it. So, hey, I want to get to your story because there's some such, this journey is so cool. So you at one point before you had your business, you were an employee. And as I understand it, your employer basically gave you an ultimatum. Can you talk about that? Share that story with us. I think it's a cool way to start. You know, I'm always fascinated how people start businesses. And this is a cool story. They were actually my first customer, my own company that I work for. Oh, wow. uh, Because I work inside truck dealerships and customers were asking for diagnostic things and nobody there knew anything. And you need three things. You need a laptop, you need software, and you need a piece of hardware that goes between the truck and the laptop. Nobody sold all three together. You had to buy them individually. And if you're a 55-year-old shop owner that knows how to fix trucks, you don't know how to buy software, configure Bluetooth, update firmware, and all those things. So I just said, well, I'll make a kit ready to go in my spare time. And I'll actually buy some of the products from my own company. I'll bundle it up on my own time. And I'll sell you the package back. You can put it back on your shelf and you can just mark it up and sell it to customers. And they were my first customer and uh, things went along well there. And it just kind of kept growing and growing. And one day they came to me and said, hey, you need to quit your side business, but we're going to give you a, you know, we're going to double your raise and we're going to be a 10% bonus. And I'm like, okay, what, what if I don't want to do that? <laughs> and they said, well, you need to resign then or we're going to fire you. Wow. I'm like, okay, you guys are, you guys are drawing the line in the sand. And truthfully, I, I had planned on quitting my side business and selling it or doing something with it. I was working, you know, just 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week for them, doing the same thing for me at home. I had a one-year-old, a three-year-old. I had a stay-at-home, my, my wife's stay-at-home mother. And I had worked for that company for 10 years. I had a great paycheck. I had the benefits, the insurance, all those things, the 401k. And it was really my wife that convinced me to roll the dice and let's go, let's go see what can happen here. And I think I look back at that. She said the most impactful thing she said to me is, look, we're financially stable. We have no debt. We've been smart if it doesn't work, you will find another job. <laughs> like there's no doubt about it. So if we're ever going to do it, let's do it now and see what happens. And, you know, here we are seven years later. Yeah. I love hearing stories like that of what, what is the trigger to get to someone that get someone to go into business for themselves? I mean, like go all in. And one thing you just said there that really caught my attention is it was a strategic move in the sense that you weren't leveraged. You didn't have a ton of debt. You were in a good situation and you were thinking, what's my downside risk? My downside risk is I take another job and uh, you know I become an employee again. It, it's pretty... You know, The one thing I see, and, and we're going to get into some of these stories, the journeys of the journey of a business owner, is I see sometimes when people start a new business, things don't go as planned and they either don't have reserves to weather the storm or or they go all in. It's kind of like buying a stock and you watch it go down and you just keep throwing money at it. How does that resonate with you in terms of when you first started out? I mean, 100%. I, we, me and my wife literally had no debt, no car payments, no credit cards, no nothing. We had cash there and the house was almost paid off. So, you know, I only got there because I worked 
really hard for three years part-time and we use all that extra money to pay these things off. So sometimes people look at it and be like, oh, you just made a lot of money work for someone. No, I was working hundred hours a week and we were really smart and didn't go spend frivolous money on things. So yeah, you got to have that, you got to have that runway. And I can tell you, I still remember it clear as day. My first morning, I'm working my job. You know, I'm not working for anyone else. I'm working on my own. And my wife's like, oh, let's have, let's have lunch every day as a family. I'm like, oh, cool. So I sit down at the lunch table. I was like, oh, how much have you sold today? And I'm like, uh, zero. <laughs> and she looks at me like, are you sure? Are you sure this is going to work? I'm like, I think it's going to be okay. And yeah, we were, you know, we, we cut everything back to the bone. Essentially, we got rid of everything we didn't need in our lives to, to make sure that we had a long enough runway to make it work. And thankfully, we had, we had way more than we needed there. And, and things just started taking off. And it really took off once I could start focusing 100% of my time on growing this thing. Right. So yeah, you got to have a little bit of, a little bit of runway in front of you. Don't, don't go stupid crazy. Just go half crazy when you're going to quit your job and, and go do something. How do you... So I think, believe you're around 200 employees now. I mean, that, that's a nice size business. That's a lot of moving parts. I've read about you. I've heard from some of your other podcasts, you talk about bootstrapping a lot. And obviously, when you started your journey, you were in a good position. Awesome to you. How do you deal with that bootstrapping? Like, because it's 200 people, obviously, you didn't get to 200 people overnight, but 200 people is a big payroll. You're, you're adding people to your payroll. What does bootstrapping mean? I'm like, can you give us some examples of where you bootstrapped and, and where you made... Were there ever times in that bootstrapping, maybe you over bootstrapped and it cost you opportunities and other times where it was one of the safest decisions you made to grow responsibly? What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, it sucks in a lot of regards, but it's also <laughs> great in a lot of others. So, right. so the part that's tough is I didn't take a salary for a long time out of the company. Wow. And even when I did, I was the lowest paid employee in the company taking a salary out. And I didn't take any dividends out for the first five years, except for to pay taxes. And even those first couple of years, I didn't even have enough money in the company to even pay taxes. So you really got to walk that line on cash flow and you got to find ways to turn it quick, 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 quick. You can't be giving customers 90-day terms and 120-day terms, giving credit to everybody. You got to watch your inventory levels and all these things that happen. And I didn't have much of a backlog. I had my some personal savings. Uh, the bank was kind enough to give me about a $50,000 line of credit. So I knew I had a little bit over there, but it gets tough. So I remember we had finally landed a really big client. They were a, a power company and they were buying at the time. It was a big deal for us. It was probably $300,000. And, you know, they're a publicly traded utility company. And they're like, we only do 90 day terms. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, yeah. how am I going to cash flow $300,000 for 90 days? And we did it. But I remember being really, uh, I was just, when I knew that deal was coming, we were like, okay, let's figure out how we can get as much cash in the company as we can here to, to weather this 90 day storm. And we got there. So that's the things you have to deal with. Just knowing I can't take money out of the company because the company needs it to grow. And you have to be really, you can't be going out buying sports cars and luxury houses and all this stuff. You got to keep it in there. So the good part is today I can sit here and be like, man, now I got something really valuable and I have no debt and I own hundred percent of it. And I have a lot of flexibility to go do things. And I will tell you this, what I thought was as the company got bigger and more money was rolling through, the risk would get smaller. Yeah. It was the exact opposite. They right. got they got bigger because they had they had more zeros and more commas in them than than the old ones. Yeah. And that took me a while to wrap my head around too. So even today, I'm not the highest paid employee in my company I am today. And I, I still very rarely take money out of the company unless it's a tax situation that I have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. So you use a lot of terms. I get seven, seven years into your journey. Cash flow you use, managing cash flow. You're thinking about turning your inventory. Those are, you know, a lot of times 
clients I work with over the years, they don't really understand those things. And a lot of times it catches them in cash crunches or in the worst case, I've seen some prospects go out of business because they really didn't understand that cash flow. How did you early in your journey like kind of know to turn over cash flow, get a big client and you're talking about 90 day terms and and how do I make that work? I, I get now seven years in, you've had probably had a lot of uh, trials and tribulations to learn it, but how did you know that early on without getting caught too hardcore? Yeah, so I mean, I was really fortunate to grow up in a family of entrepreneurs. Ah, so my dad was an entrepreneur, okay. my grandfather, my great grandfather. Our dinner tables were not talking about the baseball game. It was talking <laughs> about contracts and making payroll and employees and, and that type of thing. And then I was really fortunate. I'm a late bloomer. So I didn't start my business, my, my, this business, until I was 36. So before that, I worked 10 years for somebody else. And I was a parts manager managing $4 million in inventory. So you learn quickly about inventory turns and obsolescence and overstock and all those things. And it was the same way when I was a service manager. So service manager, you're managing people's time and you're tracking productivity and efficiency and, and all these things. And these are underlying principles that really any business uses. So although I'm talking about repairing and how quickly we can turn bays over, it's the same conversation as a restaurant. How quickly can we turn tables over and how productive can our employees be? All the math applies. It's just in different, you know, different views points. Yeah, that explains so much that you you come from a family of entrepreneurs. And then I love how, because I see a lot of uh, people that I work with do this, whatever their area that they've worked in, or maybe it's multiple areas, they've taken the ex- expertise from that and then been able to apply it to some level of their business. So that's kind of cool. That inventory turn thing, Not if you don't know that, that can really kind of get you in a crunch. I Many years ago, I had a client I wasn't a partner at the time. I was just a staff, but he was one of our clients of the firm. And this guy invested like $2 million. I don't remember what, I think it was communication boards or something. And back then that market was really volatile. He went from like this $20 million company to being sitting with like, I think think it was like two or $3 million in inventory back then to them, it going worthless, Mm -hmm. like in a matter of six months. He just didn't plan his turn. And uh, so very fascinating. Now, I want to talk about some other things. I know you've had some challenges, most business owners do, and, and as you were hacked once, for example, and I think you lost a pretty sizable amount. Can you tell us the story behind that? And what, what did you learn from it? What can you do to prevent it to happen again? Yeah, yeah. So expensive lessons. Um, so yeah. what happened to us is we sell on Amazon and Amazon, they deposit money in your bank account every two weeks. So I'm still, you know, we're, we're a smaller company at this size still, probably 30 employees, somewhere in there. And the deposit doesn't come through on the day we expected it. So I get a hold of Amazon, like, well, it could take a couple more days. Just be patient. I'm like, and that's odd. We've always had it on the same day for like the last three years. This, is, this isn't right, but I'll wait. And you wait and it still didn't show up. And then we start digging into it. Well, we find out that somebody went in and changed our bank account deposit to a different bank that wasn't ours. And wow. all Amazon could tell us was, well, it, we can't tell you much for whatever reasons, but we can tell you it happened on a computer in your building. And we're like, okay. So, you know, immediately, like, there's a couple of things with that. One was one of our employees who had access to change that thing. His computer had, did have a virus on it and oh, wow. had to get redone around that time, but we couldn't go recover anything to figure it out. So we, we did that. And then the other thing is that same employee actually got the notification via email that the bank account had been changed. And we're like, well, why didn't you see that? And he's like, well, I get all the notifications, like 200 a day. I just delete, 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 delete. I'm like, okay. So we didn't have two-factor authentication on. We didn't have, you shouldn't have had access to do that. And we should have been monitoring the emails. And, you know, you go through all that. And as as the owner, I had to look at it and be like, 
you know, it's my fault. <laughs> it's not his fault. He's a young guy that we had just put in a role and he's doing his best. I can be upset at him, but he didn't know. He didn't, you know, there's so much people don't know when they're young in a new job and, and that type of thing. And that's, and that's what it was. And we we contact the FBI, we contact the local police. We even found out what bank it went to. And basically the FBI told me, goes, look, this is the modern day cyber, this is the modern day bank robbery. That money's gone. Like it made it went to that bank. It was gone two minutes later, some bank overseas. Don't don't waste your time even tracking it down. Right. And you had to sit there. And it, for us, it was a little over $40,000. That's, and that's that was big a, money. that was a big thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would, in hindsight, I'm glad to have another zero on it or right, two zeros, right? right? right. Like it could have been a lot worse, but I, I can tell you, we got really serious about security and two-factor authentication and, and other yeah. things that a businesses need to do and have to do that we were just oblivious to. Yeah. You know, in the last year, I work with an organization as an advisor and they had some fraud uh, where it was really pretty elaborate, but the bottom line is they were able to change a customer. They had got a customer to change their EFT information. So instead of sending it to the client, to the this company, they were sending it to, I don't know, some Bank of America account that probably was going to immediately get sent somewhere else. So it was a million dollar payment. They were able to pull it off and it was caught immediately, but it had already been, it already, the damage had been done. So the, I guess Bank of America did freeze the money. I don't think they ended up with anything, but when it was reported to the FBI by this organization, the FBI said, you know what? This isn't big enough. Like, we don't really care. You know, they didn't quite say it that bad, but pretty darn close. They're like, this is happening all over. We can't chase it unless it's bigger amounts. We'll do our best, but don't call us, we'll call you type thing. So it, it is pretty, I mean, it's happening a lot. I recently had a friend lost $80,000 out of his investment account. They were able to reroute his investment account to a different bank. Same thing. He didn't have the secondary multi-factor turned on to be able to confirm it. It's scary. I mean, it, it, and you're right. $40,000, as much as that sucks, that's big money. It could have been so much worse. It could have been. And we had a similar situation. Our account's payable. Got an email from a company, a vendor, with their domain name, everything. And it said, oh, we're now wanting you to deposit money instead of pay us checks. And our person did it. And I have to authorize all wire transfers or ACHs as a, as good, a good. security control. measure. Yeah, and control. I got him like, this doesn't seem right. Like, we've never done this in three years. What happened? And I talked to her. She's like, well, the email came through to change it. I'm like, show me the email. I'm like, yeah, it seems legit. I'm like, why don't you give him a call just to make sure? Sure enough, we call them. They're like, nope, that email account was hacked. They had all the email history. It looked like it came from that place. And wow. the hackers are smart people, man. They're going to yeah. find a lot of different ways to steal. you got to put security measures in place. You know what they did to this organization I was referring to just one step further? They took, let's say, diesel laptop is available instead of diesel laptops. They registered yep. a domain called diesel laptop, and they started communicating internally and as well as externally, nobody notices it. It looks like it's the right domain. You don't even see it because you're just, you know, it's just your eyes aren't trained to look for it. And that's scary. I mean, it's pretty easy. And they were actually communicating within the organization with this, this domain that had a slight change to it. The stuff going on out there is just, it's just, I hopefully security can improve because it's scary. <laughs> yeah. And I think what you're talking about is how companies grow, right? So as your company grows, and you kind of hit those next plateaus, those next levels, all of a sudden you start to get people in your organization start asking those questions and are looking for those things. And I have a, I guarantee you, I have an IT security team now that looks yeah. at things and does things. It, that's just the things you have to start thinking about as your business keeps to grow. Right. So I want to segue into when you go from, you know, zero to 200 employees, I have to say something about your leadership skills, your development of leadership skills, your ability to build a team. How did you do it? Like, 
take us through that that seven years of growth and, and what are some winning things yeah. that you feel like you took away from it? So the first 10 or so hires were super easy because it was people I worked with for 10 or so years before that. By the way, you quickly get off your previous employer's Christmas list and on their attorney's <laughs> list when you, when, you, when you do those things. So I, I went through that. And then you, get, you, know, you hire people they know and everything. But then after that, that's work got ugly for us. We started just hiring anybody. We didn't have an HR department per se. It was the county person wearing the HR hat. We weren't answering, asking the right questions or doing the right vetting. And things got ugly really quick and it started to impact our company. We didn't, all of a sudden, we're, you're growing so fast. I mean, we're doubling revenue every year. People are getting promoted fast just to keep up with it. Well, all of a sudden you look and everyone at your table there has been a manager or a leader for less than a couple months or less than a year. We never gave them the skill sets, the tools, the knowledge that they need to be effective leaders. They were great at their job, but now we're asking them to manage people and not do what they used to do. And that's a really tough transition that I'm sure you've seen across a lot of industries where people do that. Just because you're a good diesel tech doesn't mean you're a good service manager over the diesel techs, two totally different skill sets. So we, we really hit a plateau about two and a half years ago where we just hit a, we hit a monthly number. I mean, we'd have our spikes up and down, but we were, we were not growing like we had before. And I had to just really, really look at it and be like, why did this happen? And when we really talked about it, it was, a lot of it was me. I was still doing things I shouldn't be doing. I wasn't empowering enough of the right people. We had to get some management consulting in here and bring some people in. And we had to give training to the people that have never been leaders before. And through that process, you find some leaders, they, man, they got it. They were like, yep, they're getting to the next level. No problem. We had a couple of them that said, I don't want to do this. I want to go back to doing what I was doing before. And we had a couple that were trying, but they weren't getting it. And we had to, you know, we unfortunately have to tap them out or find a new seat on the bus for them. So you, you have to do those things. And it's really hard conversations to have when it's someone that's been with you since day one. And they're not the right person now in the role they're in. Those are hard conversations to have. You get to know these people beyond just the professional level at that point. So it's tough, but you have to constantly be working on your business, not in your business. And that's the only way you can keep growing it. You can't do it all yourself. You have to give up control on a lot of things. And it's very tough for especially a founder CEO to go do those things. If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. And that's the only way you can keep growing it. You can't do it all yourself. You have to give up control on a lot of things. And it's very tough for especially a founder CEO to go do those things. Right. One thing I noticed about you, though, you, you seem to have, do you think you've developed a sense of self-awareness or is that something you've always had? Because like, for example, the hacker thing, to the employee, you were very empathetic. You were very like, hey man, he just didn't know. It would have been easy for you to say, you're an idiot, you're fired. You know, a lot of times when people don't have that self-awareness, leadership skills, that's the exact response. And that, I imagine that affects your culture, your attitude of, hey, that isn't really your fault. This is what you look for or whatever. But I think that probably emanates a very safe environment and culture. Is that something you developed or you've grown as, you've, as your staff has grown? 
Yeah, I mean, I've always took full responsibility, right? Okay. So whether whether it's good or it's bad, it's my fault at the end of the day, either either side of that coin. So like the example I always use, like with my wife, she'll say, that's not your fault. I'm like, look, if you parked your car in a parking lot and someone hit it, was that your 100% their fault? They're like, yeah. She's like, absolutely. I'm like, no, it's not. You drove your car. You parked it there. You could have parked it somewhere else or did something different. I mean, there's always the what ifs. But at the end of the day, you're the one that everyone's looking to, to make those decisions and how you act to things and what direction you're pushing the company to go. Whether it's good or bad, it's, it's there. And I just want to be able to look at employees straight in the face and say, look, I've, if I haven't told you these things or I didn't have an expectation you should know these things, that that's something different versus you just purposely didn't do your job and you're not executing like you, like you should be. So yeah, so I, I think I probably put more on my shoulders than I probably need to at some points. But that's just who I am. And I think that's part of the culture we have here at the company and a lot of the senior leadership we have take the same philosophy. Yeah. Now, another staying in this employee territory, I know you had an employee steal from you. What I'd like to, I'd love to just hear a little bit of the story, but I also would love to hear, did that, out of that, it was your seventh employee. So really early on, I know that hurts when someone steals from you, just probably a little bit stings, especially early on. But did some controls out of that? What can you learn from that? What can we learn from that in terms of, maybe something we could do different so that doesn't happen. Yeah, so it was, like you said, employee number seven, and they originally came there just to help do part-time bookkeeping, essentially, and it evolved into HR and payroll and other stuff. And uh, what happened was, is she put in a terminated employee back on payroll, and when the paper checks would show up, because some are always paper, some are digital, she would get the FedEx, she would pull that one check out, forge my name, and then she would forge the employee's name and then remote deposit it. And you know, nobody would ever know the wiser essentially because it never really got to accounting. Everything's in batches and, and whatnot until we actually got a, our first uh, VP that we brought in, our second VP of HR. And that person that, that was doing this was actually on vacation that week. And the new VP got the, got the payroll. It was like, why is this person's checking here? They don't even work here anymore. And that's when it kind of on all unraveled. So yeah, so our, our VP of HR in his first week on the job had a, uncovered a theft and embezzlement. And we had the, we had, you know, we terminated the employee and turned it over to the police and she ended up getting arrested. And we did get, a, he ended up getting retribution on the whole thing. But that took two years. And again, gut check. I, how do you go trust your employees when you just caught somebody stealing from you? Like it, it's a hard thing, but you have to do it. And yeah, we put in controls. I can, I can tell you that was a, during that period where we were just trying to figure out who we are, processes were broken, systems were broken, getting new people in the company. It was chaos, but we definitely got through it. And things like that situation will never happen again. But I always tell people, look, as we've been talking, there's a hundred ways to steal money from me. I, I can't stop them all. I can just try to do my best to make it as difficult as possible and bring the right people in to help prevent those types of things. Right. Yeah. You're going to always have some leakage. I mean, there's just no way around it. But, you know, in terms of controls, I know one of them from my old CPA background, one is obviously you're supposed to rotate people to go on vacation for that exact reason. The people that don't take vacations, especially in their area of managing money or valuables always can be a little risky because there's no one, there's no oversight. They could be doing whatever they want. Anything else come away from that in terms of controls? Yeah, I mean, I go back to kind of the ACH wire check money flowing out thing. Yeah. I mean, in order for us to send money to someone electronically, three different people here have to do it. Nice. One person has to put it in, another person has to approve it, and I have to release it. So I know by that point, it's gone through some checks and balances. And when we've gone through audits, and it took us a couple of years to do our first audit, auditors are very good about talking about controls. <laughs> so they definitely gave us a playbook and said, man, here's, here's all the things that are blatantly obvious that you guys need to fix. And you know what? We went through and we, we did all that and we fixed those things to make sure those things don't happen. Payroll's the same way now. We have an whole HR department and different levels and checking that goes on and rotations. 
and all that stuff. And when you have a lot of money flowing through, you have to do it. Like you said, there's always leakage. You just got to make sure it's tough for it to happen. Yeah. You know, you're a little bit bigger, so you can have more infrastructure. I'm sure there's some people in the audience that might be thinking, well, I don't have that many employees have that structure. But the truth is, even if you're smaller, you could have been a point of you know, less people, you could always be the point that has to do any type of authorizations or oversight in terms of uh, potential things that could go wrong. And then as soon as you add your first lead, that person could be layer one, you could be layer two. Do you see it that way as far as if someone's a little smaller in terms of staff size? Absolutely. I mean, I, I still have my accounting department still sends me every day a cash balance of what's going on and what checks came in and what money went out. But even when we were smaller, we were trying to do what we could. I was just more focused on sales and marketing than I was controls. So yeah, there's, it doesn't matter what size, you can be a one employee company and you still got to have a little bit of sense of controls to make sure things are going on right. You need to know where to look. Talk to your banker, talk to your accounting company that you use, your CPA. They will give you some basic stuff. And I know there's things online that I was going through and learning and YouTube videos and checklists. And there's all kinds of resources. You just have to go look for them. Yeah, great stuff. Great advice. Now, your why. I want to talk about your personal why. So I know when you started your business, it was about putting food on the table, you know, just just providing for your family. Then it was, you know, creating a business, getting it up and running. What, what's your why? Like, like, let's talk about it. Like, where are you now? You've got this, yeah. this viable 200-person company. Yeah, it always sounds crazy when I say it, but I'll keep saying it. My why now is I want to go change the way industries work for the last 50 years. So in our industry, what I mean by that is this, you know this if you have a car right? Or an automobile or anything. You, you use it. A check engine light comes on. It makes a noise. Something happens. You bring it to a shop. They fix it. You get it back. And that model really sucks because it's completely reactive. In the consumer space, it doesn't matter. I'll go rent a car. Or I got an extra car. I'm, I'm good. In the commercial truck world or the heavy equipment world, that truck is a tool for me to make money and do business. So think about this. If I have a truck, it's full of groceries and it breaks down, I got to go find somewhere to bring it. I got to figure out how to still get that load transferred or delivered somewhere. They're going to be upset because it's not supposed to show up when it does. Now, maybe their shelves run out of product or their customers. It, it creates this huge chain reaction. So where we're really focused on is changing the model. And it's already happened because now data comes off vehicles in real time. And for people like us that can grab that data and we can analyze it and we can tell you before you have a problem. Now, all of a sudden, people can look at it and be like, oh, I do have a problem and my truck's heading north on Interstate 35 and it'll be in Minneapolis tomorrow. Great, let's find somebody in Minneapolis who can take you in tomorrow. And now you can go plan what's going to happen to that low because now you know you're going to be down and you get ahead of the problem, which stops all these ripple effects and really reduces downtime through the whole process. And in today's world where we can't find new trucks because their order boards are built out two years. So everyone now is running old equipment just trying to get through. There's so much product to haul right now. American consumers are buying more than they ever have online. So there's this huge demand and not enough supply of trucks, truck drivers, all these other things. And the quicker we can fix things, the less problems we have with product not showing up on shelves or buildings not getting built or hospitals not getting supplies and all the other things that we use as consumers. Yeah. And even I imagine that helps the transportation system too, if you kind of have more of a fluid way of what people are doing and when they're supposed to be doing it ahead of the half game, looking ahead. Imagine that helps the transportation system. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it applies to the bigger world is the off-highway equipment guys. So think of a mining mm. operation. Maybe they're mining gold, maybe they're making gravel, whatever it is. They don't have extra excavators. They don't have right. extra front-end loaders. They got one and it's doing that job. And if it goes down, I mean, my dad owns a gravel pit operation. One piece goes down, it's $10,000 an hour is what that's yeah. costing him. 
he can't wait three days for a dealer to show up on a service truck to figure out what's going on. He needs to know immediately. And that's where we're at today as we sell tools to do those things. But more importantly, he wants to know if it is going to break down or what's going to happen in the future. He can plan for it and rearrange and shuffle things and minimize that exposure loss. So in the world of trucks, it's a big world. There's over well over $70 million, a billion dollars a year spent on parts and labor, just fixing commercial trucks. So this is not a small world. People don't see them, but there are trucks, diesel powered equipment all over the place doing their thing, helping everyone out. Yeah, that's amazing. Hey, I do have a, I've read that you have been offered a hundred million dollars for your business. That's big dollars. In fact, there's the common school of thought is $10 million is FU money, meaning it doesn't matter anymore. So $100 million must be a 10x FU money. I don't even know what you'd call it at that level. What What's caused you not to go that route? Like, what, which, Is it because of the why that you just mentioned or is there another reason to it? You're going back to it. I, I, I never did this to get, to get wealthy in the beginning, right? And that, huh. that's never been the why through the whole journey has never been, I want to create a huge amount of wealth for myself. To me, the, the revenue and the money and all those things, that's just a byproduct of what you're doing with your business. And I'm not the guy that, that dresses fancy or goes by sports cars or all, the, or all those things, right? So that's never been important to me. And I, I also want to set a good lesson for my kids. I got an eight-year-old and I got a 10-year-old. You know, my wife, she grew up with hardly anything. And, you know, we want to set examples for our kids and, and for a lot of other people out there. So, and then here's the other thing. If someone offers me $100 million today, what are they going to offer me next year? Because I know the trajectory <laughs> I'm on, right? And if someone's offering that today, I could probably go sell it at any point for that amount. So it, to me, it's kind of like you got an investment there. Yeah, you, I, I cannot go pull $100 million out of, out of diesel laptops. Don't, don't, I don't want people to think that. Yeah. But it, we do have something valuable there. And we, to me, again, it goes more importantly. I can go change an industry. I can put my little dent in the universe. And when I'm tired of doing this, I always tell people, look, one of two things happens. I die or I retire. Like it, it's inevitable. Like one of those two, I'm just going to do it on my terms and figure out, you know, when's the best time for me to exit this thing. Cause I, I will not be around here forever. And right. my kids are eight and 10. I, I'm not grooming my kids to take over this business. I really want them to figure out their place in the world. So, you know, there, there's got to be an exit strategy here somewhere. And that's part of what we're still trying to figure out over here at Diesel Laptops and, and how we do that. Yeah, that's cool. That, that's a great story. Got a couple of fun questions and then we'll wrap it up. I always love to know, do you, do you read? Do you have a book maybe that you could share with us, whether one you're reading or you've read? I'd love to just kind of get in your mind a little bit. Yeah, so I'm definitely a sales and marketing guy. That's, that's, okay. that's, I love doing that stuff, right? So I can tell anyone listening to this, you know, we talk about the why and I'm, I'm glad it comes up a lot because Simon Sinek, you know, he has a whole book on the why. And I'm a true believer that you put two people together, one person's there to go change an industry or do something to better humanity. And then other guys are doing the same thing, but just make a bunch of money. I'm going to probably put my bet every time on the guy that's, that's there for those, for those other reasons besides the money. So I, I tend to gravitate more that way. And I can tell you this, any book at all on marketing, I love. I built my, you know, everyone, especially my B2B space and I'm in the trucking repair we don't have sales reps knocking on doors and seeing people in person. We don't see anybody in person. We're selling $10,000 diagnostic tools over the internet, over phone calls. And anytime I can learn anything about marketing, whether it's SEO, whether it's page rank, whether it's paid search, I am all in and we're going to go try it and see if it works for us or not. And I can tell everyone listening to this, I'm seven years in, we're still growing 30 or 40% a year. And we're constantly looking for new online marketing techniques and tactics to keep generating traffic and generating revenue. And it's, it's like a flywheel that keeps going faster and faster and faster when you really focus on it. So yeah, we have 200 employees. I have full-time people working on just paid search. I got writers writing articles. We have people working just solely on our website. 
It's that important to my business. And it really should be that important to any business of any size. They got to understand the online marketing side. That's where most people are living and breathing every single day. Yeah. 30% to scale yearly. You know, when you're a million dollars a year revenue, nice number, good growth. That's a whole different beast when you're 30, 50, 40 million dollars and you grow 30%. I mean, the variables of more staff, more structure. I mean, kudos to you guys for pulling that off every year. That's pretty impressive. It, it is mind-boggling when we look at the numbers on budget time, right? And we're like, yeah. and I got to go grow my business more this year than we did the first two years combined. Like that, that's insane. Like how, how are we going to do that? And it takes a lot of good people. There's a lot of systems and processes and talent you need in your organization to do that. But it's all totally doable stuff. And by the way, you don't need to go get $10 million of private equity money or raise a bunch of money to go do these things. It is totally possible to do. It's just a much longer game at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. But you retain your control and you get to write your own ticket. So there's there's trade-offs. Everything has pros and cons. Now, on the book front, just to close on this, uh, Simon Sinek's Why, love it. Do you have, and I don't mean to put you on a spot, but since yeah. you mentioned sales and marketing, are there any books that stand out that's a favorite? Yeah, Marketing Made Simple. So oh, let's okay. start there. Yeah, Dave, Donald Miller. That one, I can tell you, every manager in our company and up and our marketing team reads Marketing Made Simple. And we follow, we, and we were the story brand as well. They, we follow that script and it works. We send people to seminars. I listen to his podcast show still. It really cuts through all the hustle and gives you the framework to build your marketing messages properly. So I would definitely direct people that way. I love whenever I ask this question, because whenever someone says something, it's a book I've read, but it immediately makes me go back and read it again. So thank you in advance. And then last question, you've just got so much wisdom. You now have a lot of success to go along with the wisdom, which is awesome. Is there a business or a life tip you can give us that we can kind of something you've learned along the way that we can take from you? Yeah, I mean, a hundred of them, right? So, (laughs) I mean, one of them is this. Look, I've learned a long time ago you have all kinds of faucets in your life. You have your professional life. You have your social life. You got health. Some people have religion. You got your family life. I've never been able to balance all five. I said, hey, I'm going to be really good at two of these and I'm going to do my best possible over here. So for example, I, yeah, I start work. I'm one of the first ones here every day, but I'm one of the first ones to leave. I'm out here by four o'clock every, every single day. And I try really hard to make sure I have time with my kids, especially at this age. I got to have time with my wife, but I can tell you I'm sitting here I don't have a social life. I don't, I don't go hang out at the bar, go hang out with friends and, and do these things because I just don't have time. And that's okay. You just, you just have to learn and accept what decisions you make, you know, in that regard. And for entrepreneurs out there, uh, you know, don't let perfection be the enemy here. Get your product out there, prove its concept. I did this part-time for years before I quit my job and was in a good position to do it. So it's not a sprint. You don't need to, there's no time clock against you. Just get it right. Take your time. You can get there. Just be patient and keep keep on it, right? You need to see traction. If you're not seeing traction, it means you're doing something wrong, but there is a way to make it work. Very cool. What, what great advice. So once again, your, your website is Diesel Laptops. I'll definitely put this in the show notes uh, along with other, the other links you've given me. But if someone does want to reach out to you from the audience, is there any other place you'd like them to go? LinkedIn to me has been a godsend. I just told people I don't have a social life. I know a lot of business owners are in the same world. You don't have people you can talk to about cash flow problems or payables or receivables or contracts and and all these business things that happen. Uh, LinkedIn, I started posting on there when nobody knew who I was just about my journey. Here's what's going on. Here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I'm winning. And I I, I still do it today. Connect with me on on LinkedIn, just Tyler Robertson or Tyler Diesel. I'll pop right up on there. 
Okay, cool. I'll be sure to connect with you too. Now, to the guy with the greatest name on the face of the earth, I humbly say, uh, thanks for being on the show. I, you do have a book in you. I know you do. So when you have the, when you have that book, when it starts getting work and I want you to come back and we can share some more stories. Cause I think like the whole work life balance, that was another thing I wanted to talk about, but I, we were kind of running on here. I'd love to share, get your thoughts on how you've been able to manage that as you grow a 30% a year growth is amazing and manage that with your personal life. That's really cool. Well, thank you, Tony. You're right. I always get that idea in the back of my head about a book or something eventually. It's there. For now, diesel laptops, kids. That's the focus. Yeah, someday. Okay, man. Hey, take care. Thanks so much for your time, okay? Thank you very much. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric Acid. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid.